What's going on? Welcome to the Land Podcast. This week we have a great episode here with Buckland Funding, and we have Jason and Sean here from the institution, and they have a lot of experience in this space. Jason has been with the bank for 17 years. Sean has been working in the outdoor industry basically his entire career. So these guys know recreational land, they know hunting, and whether you're looking to buy your first farm or possibly looking to buy the next one, there's some great information in here for you guys here today. We're talking about interest rates. We're talking about how to buy that next farm after you already have one, how to buy the first farm in a couple creative ways and how to get that down payment, how to calculate your debt to income and what ratio you should try to stay under to make sure that you're okay and not overextending yourself and what drives the recreational land market and also get their opinion on where the market's headed in the future. So really jam-packed episode. I hope you guys enjoy this uh, episode. I know I did. Before we get into this episode, trying to think here in terms of Exodus, we have Whitetail Cribs rocking and rolling every single Sunday at 7.30 Central Standard Time on our YouTube channel. We have the Exodus podcast every single Tuesday, and uh, we have some really great guests lined up for the remainder of the year. And I hope you guys are having a great time chasing whitetails. If you need some additional eyes in the woods, check out the Exodus Render, our 4G Verizon cell camera with a five-year no BS warranty. Flat out works, extremely reliable, and that's what you want in a cell camera. That's what we provide. Head over to our website, check that out, and take advantage of what we have going on there. I want to say we have a code for new customers on the website, 11% off. If you go on there, you'll see the little sign up. Go in there, put your email, and you will get that discount code. But that's it for now. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. We have some really big announcements here on the land podcast coming down the pipeline, but I don't want to share them quite yet, but just know that they're coming. So that's it. Till next time, here we go. All right, we're live. I have uh, Jason and Sean from Buckland Funding uh, here. And before I welcome you guys, I've talked to Sean here uh, quite a bit. And I know I've sent business to both, you know, indirectly to both of you guys. And uh, everyone's always been really happy. So I'm just uh, prefacing that with this is we've, ta we've talked and worked together in the past, but now I'm really excited to learn about everything that you guys have going on. So uh, take a second to introduce yourselves and we'll get right into it. Yeah, Jake, thanks. I appreciate that. It's always good to hear good positive feedback and I'm glad your your referrals have, have provided that to you. Uh, maybe Sean, you want to kick off and give a little bit of background to you and then I'll, I'll go from there. Sure, absolutely. Um, and thanks again, Jake, for having us. Uh, we've looked forward to this and uh, worked around some uh, other, other dates and finally got together. So thank you so much. We appreciate it. Um, and again, appreciate what you've done for us so far. Um, so my background, just a little bit about myself, is I come from the rep industry. Uh, I was a sales rep uh, in the archery and hunting world for approximately 26 years. Um, I covered Nebraska, Iowa, and Illinois. Covered uh, all in any type of a pro shop, um, hunting uh, outlet stores, Cabela's Shield stores here in the Midwest, things like that. Um, did that for about 26 years. I worked uh, before that, um, got my break in the industry. I actually worked for a uh manufacturer um delta industries back then we uh, made targets quivers broadheads things like that so i've been basically in this industry in the outdoor hunting industry i should say uh for my entire life for uh 30 plus years so um i've been uh, fortunate enough and blessed that uh, i'm almost two years uh in with buckland funding um next month is my two-year anniversary so i'm not looking back and uh it's been going great and uh I'll say it first and foremost, and I'm sure Jason will bring it up, but uh, I'm not a, I'm not a loan officer. I'm not a banker. That's not my <laughs> background. So my background is uh, 
like I said, the outdoors and in the hunting industry. So um, very, very happy and excited to be here with you today. Yeah, absolutely. And and you were a, a professional archer of some sorts in the past too? I was, I was. <laughs> um, you know, I, it's funny because I still shoot a league with a bunch of guys on Thursday night and I've got like a little bell buckle and a coat. Well, the coat doesn't fit me anymore. <laughs> but, uh, every now and then I'll come out and I'll say, hey, I will put the try to put the coat on, you know, and it's like big guy in a little coat thing. And I'll turn around and I'll say, hey, any of you guys got one of these? And everybody just dies, you know. So, no, back in the day, yeah, I traveled all over. Um, ASAs were just getting started then, but uh, shot a lot of um, IBOs out in Elsaville, Ohio, Erie, Pennsylvania. Uh, some world tournaments, Wheeling, West Virginia, things like that. So, yeah, made the rounds and uh, um, loved it. Absolutely loved it. And then kids came along and had to had to pull the reins and go to work. Yeah, <laughs> you'll have that, I guess. But uh, yeah, that's exciting. Uh, Jason, how how the heck did you get into what you do now? Yeah, so I, I am a banker by trade. I guess that's what makes Sean and I a good team. Um, you know, we we really bounce a lot of ideas off each other because we know each other's kind of comfort zones, so to speak. Um, you know, so I've been in banking really my whole career. Um, I've been in I, about 24 years now as a banker. Um, I grew up in a rural area uh, in West Central Illinois, uh, just on a dairy farm outside of Carthage. Um, and uh, got into banking out of, out of college. And uh, I've been with First Bankers Trust uh, for 17 years now. So uh, kind of how, you know, about Buckland funding and, and, you know, and as it relates to First Bankers Trust, um, behind Buckland funding is, is your typical community bank uh, in, in a, you know, headquartered in Quincy, Illinois. And, you know, so it's, it, it's roots date back to the 1940s. Um, so it's a really solid, decent sized community bank that services, uh, like I said, mostly West Central Illinois. And uh, a couple of years ago, we felt that you know, we're, we're making loans, you know, in our area on hunting ground and we understand it. It's, uh, we have a board of directors that are extremely active with hunting. Um, and, uh, many of our bankers are, uh, it's a passion of theirs and obviously our location, it yields a pretty good opportunity for us to help customers find hunting ground, but we've never really leveraged that to scale it and, and really promote it in a, in a more of a directed way. And so about three years ago, we said, let's get, let's get serious about, you know, doing this. And uh, we felt if we could brand it and be a little more targeted, but go beyond our local footprint uh, would be the way to do it. And, you know, we have some pretty big goals in terms of getting to where we can service a bigger territory, but um, that's kind of where Buckland funding was born. It's, it's a division of First Bankers Trust, so we can leverage some of the stability and strength of the bank but still be you know as a community bank it's you know it's 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 very close knit you keep the decision close to the customer um you get to know the customer it's really relationship driven um we get to know the land brokers and that's we'll touch on where sean comes in on his piece of the process but um a couple of years ago we kind of we, we basically went live and um the idea of buckland funding and our team to to develop relationships with land brokers and to, to position ourselves to be a, a a good option for people to buy hunting ground and recreational ground. So um, it's been fun. 
uh, been a lot of fun. Working with Sean is always fun, right? <laughs> Sean brings a lot of energy and I love it. And um, so, you know, it gets me to where, I, you know, I still wear a few different hats at the bank, but um, between myself and and uh, um, some of our other teammates, uh, we, we have a really good team that really focuses on uh, just trying to provide a really good experience for the, um, the, you know, the, the customer that's trying that needs a loan to buy their, their hunting ground, whether it be their first piece of ground or it's their 30th tract of ground. And they're, you know, they got a lot more complexity in their world with maybe they're self-employed or they own businesses. And so we can kind of handle the, the gamut of those type of applicants. And, uh, so yeah, that's kind of, that's a really quick nutshell of kind of how Buckland funding was, was born and kind of shot a nice part in it. So do you guys service just Illinois currently? No. So that was one of the nice, I, I would say that, that one of the key differences between uh, what we did before, like, like a community bank, they'll make loans in their backyard because they understand the land. Um, even if the borrower might be from a different state or different out of the area, because we see a lot of that uh, with where we're located. Um, not a lot of banks will will make the loan if they don't you know if the property is not in their backyard and they don't know the customer um we feel like we you know this type of lending is something that we we feel very comfortable with and uh you know through our process we can get to know the customer to a point where we can help them out um outside our, our territory so our idea is we want to start you know with what we know but uh, our territory is illinois iowa missouri um and Sean, I think what's it been about, you know, early this year, we added in, Min excuse me, Minnesota and Wisconsin to that territory. And uh, we're kind of starting to expand into that area with, with goals to expand beyond that. I just heard big buck states. So you guys are in the right spot yeah. <laughs> given, uh, yeah. given what you guys are doing, but um, what, uh, I mean, how rewarding is it for you guys? I'm sure. Cause this is one of the most rewarding things for me is helping people buy their first farm. And uh, I think there's a lot of unknowns for someone that maybe does not come from any form of land ownership, uh, whether they're growing up or anything else like that. I mean, it's a, it can be a pretty intimidating process. And I assume you guys take a lot of pride in, in coaching folks through that first transaction. What's Sean, it like? go ahead. I, yeah, Sean, you, I, you get the, you get the really fun part early on when they're gleaming with enthusiasm and don't have to worry sure. about some of the financial side of it, but yeah, go ahead and take that if you would. Sure. Sure. Um, it, it's kind of funny, Jake. Um, you know, in my previous life, obviously, there, it was extremely rewarding and got to deal, deal with great dealers and consumers throughout, uh, you know, my history there. Um, but every now and then, you know, you'd get a phone call from a dealer or a, an upset uh, customer. And, hey, where where is this product? Or it shipped wrong. And then you put on your fireman's hat and try to put it out. Now you've got somebody mad at you. Well, guess what? In this position, when somebody calls, you know, they're excited because they're they're looking at buying hunting ground or recreational ground. Holy cow, you know, you're not in a bad mood. You're just excited. You want to know some information about getting a loan. And um, I love dealing with those people because right away they're they're excited and happy. And then I just go along with that. So um, going right into kind of what my position is, what I do here at Buckland Funding, um, they, they just to step back just for a second, <clears throat> First Bankers Trust had an amazing idea with Buckland Funding because out there, there's a lot of lending institutions, a lot of banks that don't like to actually deal with 
just recreational or just hunting type of uh, property. Well, as Jason said before, uh, the, the um, board saw a niche and a fit for this, so they created Buckland Funding. Well, the problem was is that the, the bank had a great idea, but how do we get with those brokers and agents to let them know, hey, we're, we're here. We're, we're going to work with your customer. We can take care of them. We've got this for an interest rate. We've got this for a down all the way through. How do we, how do we gap that? So that's kind of where I came in as a relationship manager, being able to use some of my past relationships. But I basically am the first touch for that customer, for you, the broker, Jake, or the agent, I'm the first touch to that customer. So when that customer calls me, basically, we just have a great conversation. I get to find out about them. I let them know about uh, myself, what my background is, so it makes them feel a little bit more comfortable that they're, they're dealing with somebody that they can associate with, number one. Um, so I ask them some questions, just simple things like, um, you know, property location, your email address, phone number, um, another contact number. Will anybody be going in on the loan with you? Um, a spouse, a friend, is it an LLC? Have you got a property yet? Is it on your contract? What's the size? Is there any um, income from the property? Or are you just trying to be pre-approved? So there's a lot of information that I gather and I actually input that into the computer once our conversation is done. And then I send them a request via computer just so they can plug in, uh, plug in all their answers, send it back to us. And the neat thing about us is that um, with our dedicated team is normally, and I'm not saying always, but typically you, we can have a pre-approval in a three to four business day time period. So um, it, it's really efficient. It works great. Our team is amazing. And again, we are focused just on hunting and recreational ground, which is a huge step above some of our other competition. Yeah, I mean, that's, to me, a really big thing because you guys can speak the same language as the person that's calling in. I mean, right. do you understand and, and where they're at? And that it, there is more it, than just, uh, what you know, binary, one zero, or black and white. Like, there's more to this. Exactly. And when you find out, and, and every, every deal is different and every customer is different. I've dealt with, obviously, the first-time buyer, you know, just getting into hunting and uh, might be a gun hunter. No, I just want to have my own property. I'm tired of you know, hunting on public ground and running into people, you know, and they want to have their first time. So they've got a lot of questions. And then one of my uh, favorite stories is uh, that I've been able to have is a gentleman out of Michigan, actually, that bought a farm um, in Missouri. Uh, we had a great conversation. He's uh, was two animals away from a super slam. Ooh. So yeah, so he's uh, had a lot of archery background experience. And I mean, there's a guy, you know, cut from the same cloth and I, we talked well over an hour just talking, you know, so that's what my role is. So did, what, uh, do you remember what two species he had left? For the I species? don't. Yeah. I, the one, one for sure was one of the Rams. Okay. Well, yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> yeah. interesting. So, and, uh, <laughs> how did that, how did that guy find you guys? A broker. Okay. Yes, a broker uh, gave us a reference and called us. And again, it just goes one step after another. And we were able to um, make him feel comfortable. Um, we were able to help him with uh, his hot points, what he was looking for. 
uh, in his loan. And we were able to work that deal out. Mm -hmm. What someone right now is thinking about, man, I've been wanting to buy a piece of ground. I I probably should get pre-qualified or at least have a conversation, see where I'm at. What can I afford on paper and what can I really afford? Because sometimes that might be two different numbers. But um, what what are some things that you think that people may overlook as they're just getting started in this process, whether that's uh, employment history or anything else? What do you guys see that usually is a shortcoming? Yeah, I'll take that, uh, Jake. I, I think, you know, down payment's always, you know, the first hot point discussion point, you know, down payment and maybe what what can I afford in, in relation to, you know, my income and my other obligations, uh, debt payments, that type of thing. And so you said pre-approval, like we, we are big about promoting pre-approval. Um, and, and Sean and, and I, as we talk to, you know, land brokers, we, we really put, hey, you know, with today's hot market, I mean, it's softening a little bit. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about the, you know, where the market's going as far as real estate uh, with our crystal ball. But, you know, we're, we've been in a period where you got to be ready to go. I mean, you know this, I'm sure you've had farms that la you make a call and it's gone and mm -hmm. um, we're under contract. So, um, and, and different people have different relationships. They may know the farm owner. They may, they may have a really good relationship with the broker and, and, you know, so, so people are in a good, you know, good situations to move quick anyway, they might be a cash buyer. Um, so they don't have to, to worry about maybe other hoops to jump through. So to help bridge that gap, you know, I always really encourage people take the time to get pre-approved. Uh, find out what you can afford, um, you know, from the spectrum of that first time buyer that may, may be used to or not used to borrowing money, especially on recreational ground, all the way to the spectrum of, um, you know, the business owner or the self-employed borrower that has um, done it a hundred times, that, that there's a complexity piece too. The, the first time phone buyer typically is a little more simple to kind of to get to the quick answer. You know, we look at the credit, we get, we, you know, we look at your uh, finance, an application that's going to have your, your assets, your, you know, very simple application that, that kind of gives us a good picture. Um, we get two years of tax returns typically, and just confirm that there's no major changes. And we can pretty, Sean said three to four business days. If we get what we need, we can make those decisions, you know, with, by, you know, and get back to them within the day. Um, and that is always a goal if, if we get what we what we need. Um, that other end of that spectrum where it's a little more complex, uh, it kind of depends on how organized they are to help us get uh, get an yeah. understanding of their I'm situation. Sure you, I'm sure you get people that send it within 20 minutes, and then you get the guy. Well, I'm, uh, I can't find yeah. my darn 2020. You know, <laughs> that's right. Exactly right. It's yeah. kind of pulling teeth, but um, you know, we'll work with all of them, right? I mean, every every financial institution has got their own hot button, um, their own checklist of what they want before they can really make a decision. And uh, we like to think that we have some flexibility depending on how everything looks. But for the most part, you need a certain bare minimum. So, um, you know, I, I go back to be organized, be ready to go, you know, be, be uh, you know, know kind of what you're looking for. Um, and let's see if we can match it up. And um, you know, if you have a property size or location, all that's really good for us. But if you can get, get us what we need and get you pre-approved before you start looking, um, it's, it's valuable to us. It's extremely valuable to them. It's valuable to land brokers. So you're not wasting your time on the wrong farm and you, you can dial in or, you know, unfortunately there's times where they, they can't get qualified for, for certain reasons. 
And but in those situations, you know, okay, where can we add value? Well, let's sit down and talk about why, you know, and it's usually not a no forever. It's just, hey, here's some things you can do to get there. Uh, Maybe it's maybe it's a down payment um, shortfall uh, where they're at. Uh, Maybe it's maybe it's a, a credit issue they didn't know about or it's on their credit. We could talk through that. But, you know, to me, you know, the transparency piece of this process is so, so important to get people comfortable. Uh, I just, I'm big on not, not having surprises. And uh, we're very intentional from the very beginning of the application, all the way through the closing and even after closing to have checkpoints on making sure we're, we're very transparent, you know, with the loan terms, with the approval, with where we're at in the process and, you know, being extremely accessible to, to share that information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, there's a lot of, uh, I guess, unknown, just the more, you know, going into it is obviously the better. And as a shopper, someone that knows, okay, I, I can afford $250,000. I have the down payment in this account and I already talked to talk to you guys. I'm good to go. Well, now, you know, you're cooking with fire there, you know, as soon as you see the farm, that's like, Oh, I got to have it. Mm-hmm. Boom. You can, you can move forward with confidence rather than this limbo of, well, yeah, I think I'm good, but I don't really know if I'm good, but I need to talk to a different bank or talk to a bank and see where I'm at. Like, boom, move, move much faster. And there's some folks that uh, buy farms that they wouldn't have been able to buy otherwise if they weren't prepared. So I think it's so important, like yeah. you said. Well, you know, I, I'd love to say everybody comes and gets pre-approved, but that's probably the 10%. Uh, Sean, sometimes like, hey, I got, we're getting the application tomorrow, but here's the purchase agreement with the 30-day close. So that's always the fun ones. <laughs> uh, and, and we'll see those, but you know, Typically, I mean, obviously not recommended uh, to do it that way, but typically those people have been through the process before they got a pretty good comfort level. They borrowed money. They know what it takes. And, um, you know, maybe they have a comfort level with a bank or they already have a relationship with. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I, I, it comes in all forms. But, uh, yeah, there's a there's a lot of value in get pre-approved uh, with anybody, you know, but obviously we promote trying to work with us. and you know, let's get you like a, a pre-approval sheet. You can share it with your broker. We can put as much or as little detail as you want on there. Um, and so that that's part of one of the, the, the processes we do have established. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think something that people are probably curious or hoping that we're going to talk about is uh, you can't read a newspaper or turn on the news without hearing the word interest rate right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very like last year at this time, I was, ironically, I was just reading an article last night and a, uh, this is for residential, but like a 30 year mortgage last year at this time was 2.87%. And that same 30 year mortgage right now is like 6.87. So obviously yeah. um, what I, this to be frank, like obviously people are losing purchasing power. Um, and, and, and I personally haven't seen prices retract. People can afford less basically with that interest rate period. Right. Uh, and the other interesting thing is like, people think that there's going to be more inventory. I don't really think there's more new listings coming because people feel that the market's soft. So why they want to list their farm right now and what, why there's more inventory is this stuff that hasn't sold yet. And so it's, it's not really new inventory or more inventory. It's just stuff that sat there for a while, but as a potential buyer right now, what, could you talk them through or walk them through knowing like, man, everywhere's everyone's saying the interest rates are super crazy right now in hindsight or in the broad scope. Are they really that crazy? Well, everyone hears the horror, horror stories from the eighties of 18 plus percent rates and that type of thing. And, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to hope we won't get back there that, you know, the, our built that, you know, the ability to kind of identify, you know, actions that the, Fed, the federal reserve takes and, 
you know, it's all by design, right? They're, they're trying to get ahead of inflation and um, hopefully we can determine when we've gotten there a little easier than we did back in the eighties. But um, you know, historically it's, here's what I would say when it comes to interest rates, like, you know, you can't control it. Right. So what's important to you. And, you know, if, if, if you're buying the farm because you want the long-term enjoyment of it, then de- decide what you want and what you can afford. Right. So, um, you know, get your ducks in a row, you know, whether you've identified a farm um, or, um, you know, you, you're, you're still trying to get, you know, to be look in the search process to find what fits your criteria. And so once you've done that, then it's just a personal choice on, all right, you know, you know, the, the beautiful thing about this, this type of purchase is that there's an emotional connection to it. Um, the farms aren't typically going to pay for themselves. I mean, really farms anymore don't pay for themselves at all. Um, you might be able to get some of some income that provide a return, which makes it a little more valuable. But for the most part, you're buying it for the enjoyment of it. And if you know what you're looking for, you know, the criteria that you're looking for, um, interest rates should have a factor. Um, but if you can afford it and you want to buy it, then it's a personal choice. Um, I, I think that interest rates are good. Just the things you described are happening and they'll continue to happen a little bit. I, the interest rates are probably going to be continuing to go up a little bit. Um, the Federal Reserve, which drives a lot of the rates uh, by design, is meeting again in early November. They'll, there's an expectation that they'll re- increase it again. Um, you know, what, at what point that levels out becomes the crystal ball. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's going to have an effect on land values, most people think. Um, you you would probably be able to speak to this better than I can or Sean can, but we, we've seen a little bit of maybe softening. I mean, to me, it's kind of went from really, really hot to maybe starting to get more balanced between a buyer and a seller market. Mm-hmm. Um, is there an adjustment of land values? I think that's still yet to be determined. I don't, I haven't really seen adjustments. I've just seen slowness, you know, properties are starting to get adjusted down in price from what I've seen. But, um, you know, that's a long way of saying, you know, what what's important to you? I mean, if you're buying to speculate, probably might want to sit on the sideline. You know, if you're buying to buy it because it's a good buy and you want to flip it in a year, you know, there's still opportunities probably out there. But if that's what you're going into right now, there's a lot of uncertainty to 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 execute that. Is that a is that a pro potentially? For, like, is that a, a positive thing uh, with uncertainty? Because, I mean, sometimes where there's uncertainty in markets, that can be an exciting time to be a buyer. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's my thought. But yeah, here's a here's a saying that uh, everyone's been saying, and I want your guys' opinion. Uh, marry the farm, date the interest rate. Dumb or a good idea? <laughs> marry the farm, date the. Well, I mean, I'm a proponent of that because you know we don't have. Um, hey, go back to what I said. You know, like you're buying it for for the for reasons beyond an interest rate, right? Now, it factors in, it drives what you can afford, and and all that stuff, but. Um, you know, it's it's not like a maybe an operating farm as as much um, because it you know it's not typically paying for itself. So, um, you know, we our product and we can get into kind of what we normally do, but um, our rates are a little more on the shorter term scale. You know, or a five year balloon type loan with a twenty or twenty five year payback. Um, you know, in, in in rising interest rates environments, those tend out to work a little better because you're 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 you know, you're borrowing money at a cheaper point than you would if you locked it in for 30, 20, 25, 30 years. And uh, most people don't hold their farms that long. Um, 
so on average on the average so you're probably going to be getting out of that interest rate for one form or another you know maybe rates went back down in that five-year window and you refinance it at a lower rate you know maybe you ended up selling it and trading into a new farm so you got off that loan and you're getting into a new loan um you know the the rates can come and they go right but you buy the farm for the reasons that that you desire the farm for mm-hmm. so i mean that's my take sean i think you know you know we've talked about this a little bit on how how these uh how interest rates are driving the supply and demand of it a little bit and um i think people just like certainty when there's uncertainty it makes them pause a little bit and i think we're definitely in that time frame right now yeah i, I jason, totally agree i'm sorry um jason some a couple different things that uh when you and i have talked what i found so interesting is that um which a lot of people uh may not know is that our rates right now and correct me if i'm wrong are are pretty darn close to what they were before COVID. is that a good well they definitely yeah they, they've moved up but i mean so you know it's just been such a long sustained period of low interest rates right um people are spoiled yeah, yeah. yeah. Are, there's been people that haven't borrowed money when rates were in this in this realm right now and so when you're used to hearing a three in front of something on your rate, or you're used to hearing a four, when you hear a five or a six, and then we're not far away from hearing seven, you know, it people freak out, right? And and, and probably rightfully so. I mean, it's you know, if, if you if your you know, your home loans on us, you know, some people have gotten home loan rates in the two percent for their primary residence, and um, but you know, when rates go back down, there's a refi boom. You know, on the home loan rates, and the same thing can be said for you know loans on you know recreational ground. I mean, that's go back to your your statement, Jake. Like you know, you marry the farm and you date the interest rate. I mean, you're not married to the interest rate for the life of the loan. You, you know, and you may you may end up selling the selling the farm and buying a new farm or upgrading. So there's there's a lot of reasons where you know buy the farm for the right reason. Or don't buy the farm for the right yeah. reasons, but but I wouldn't let the interest rate be the, the deciding factor. Yeah, I agree. I think people are always looking for an excuse not to buy something um, at all times, no matter what. It's like when things were going really, like even let's say 2021 summer when prices were starting to go up high, if you're like, oh man, I'm not buying, it's going to go down. Right. Well, man, that cost you probably 12, 15% on land prices. You just, okay, so now you can buy less. And then now prices haven't retracted. Um, so now you can buy less because interest rates are higher. So it's like, yeah. man, I, you know, there's an excuse for everything, but it's like, to your point, uh, just get into this, just buy the farm and, and things will sort itself out later. Just make sure you can financially afford it. And yeah, that's where make sure you, you guys it. have those safeguards. Yeah. So how long are you seeing some of these folks hold farms that you guys have seen over the years? Um, you know, even before Buckland funding, but like how often, are people selling their farms? It, and, I, and it probably has been accelerated within the last couple of years. Yeah, Sean and I were just talking about that this morning. Um, it's a really good question. It's it's hard to kind of get a pinpoint an average because, you know, they say in the home loan world, like when, you know, everyone wants 20 year, 25, 30 year fixture in their home, but the average mortgage stays in place for about seven. Um, that and, and for a variety of reasons, but the average is seven. You know, people, you know, move, they, they upgrade homes, they, refinance your home loans. So the seven year is kind of a, you know, what it turns out to be an average. So um, typically a five year or seven year rate is going to be cheaper than a 30 year rate, but people just want to pay more for that insurance just in case. Like that's how I refer to it. It's an insurance policy by paying a higher rate just in case. So, um, 
you know, it's the spec, there, there's different strategies on buying farms. I mean, if you think that, you know, I, I want to buy that first 40, but I, I, you know, I, you know, I want to develop it. I want to clear it. I want to, you know, work on the habitat and do put my touch on it and hunt it for a few years, but then I may want to upgrade to an 80 or, or I want to buy the one next door and I refinance everything uh, type of thing. So, you know, you know, it's a, it's a tough question to answer because there's so many different strategies people have when they buy farms. Um, if you're buying that 40 right next to your home place, cause you know, you're going to want to hold it and, and hand it down to the next generation. That, that might be a different play than, you know, buying one in a different state, mm-hmm. you know, that you may want to upgrade or change, you know, trade out of in so a few years. So what, what about someone that buys a farm that's let's say within two hours of where they live, it's not their primary residence. It's just a farm that they want to hunt, you know, and recreate on. Mm-hmm. Would you say that follows a pretty close to seven year model as houses or would it be a little bit longer or a little bit shorter? Yeah, I, I don't know if we had the data on that, but my gut tells me it would follow closer to the to the the home home loan because you know the interest rates alone may move up or down and it may you know now now they may have ownership longer than the seven, but as far as how long they're going to keep their mortgage the way it is when they took the loan out, um, you know there's influences that that may want them to refinance. You know they may want. Maybe they pay it down. They got a lot of equity. The values went up. They want to cash out to do another farm or some other, some other use of the money. So there's just a lot of factors that drive people into refinancing or you know paying their loan off. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know that's a that's a really good question. I don't know. I've seen the data. You know, kind of the industry rule of thumb. I'd say on home loans is seven years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the question is, you know, that's over time. You know, as as rates go up, it probably extends. As rates go down, it speeds up. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So I would, I would assume that farms will probably be changing hands a little bit less than, than what they yep. were because rates are, you know, up a little bit higher. And that's, yeah. Uh, yeah. I always find it really interesting. Like the farm that has been in a family for, let's say over five decades. And as soon as that seal is broken, it's like, don't, and this is just my opinion. Like, let's say it's a 200 and then they sell it in four fifties. And you really wanted the 150. I wouldn't get worked up if you weren't in a position to buy the 150 because I bet you more than likely that 50 will become available again within the next yeah. seven to 15 years, which yeah, I don't that's just what I've seen because to your point, people want to maybe buy a, something a little bit bigger, move on, maybe they want something closer to home. And uh yeah, that's where I've just seen that a lot over the, yeah. over the years. Here, well, paying attention to it. It probably won't be held for another five decades, five no. generations, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Or even, you know, like 20, 30 years for sure. I just think it, it definitely changes hands often, but um, let's see here. Let's, let's say, um, can you use the, inc- all right, I'm trying to buy my first 40 and mm-hmm. there's, let's say $5,000 of CRP income on it, which is pretty good. Can you use that income towards your debt to income ratio to help qualify for that loan with you guys typically? Yeah, we'll, we'll factor it in for sure. I mean, it's just such a, it's typically as on the farms that we look at, whether it's 40 or even a 20, all the way up to, you know, a thousand acres or whatever our, I mean, we've done a wide range of sizes. Um, you know, and it's typically, I mean, we can use it at income, but if, if it's coming down to that income being the difference maker between affording it and not affording it, it's probably, we're probably getting a little skinny on what you're buying, right? Because sure. it, it's such a small piece of the operation. Um, you know, if you're getting into row crop or other farms that are more productive ground, which we have a 
our bank's got quite a portfolio of that as well. Where we, we, you know, I have a lot of clients where I deal with on the, on the, the operating side, um, the farm operation side, and that we look at that a little bit different, but, um, but yeah, on the hunting, hunting ground, that income is a small sliver of the big picture for, when it comes to debt to income. Uh, we'll throw it in there. If it's, if it really comes down to that being the difference maker, then, you know, we'll, we'll factor it in, but it, it, it goes back to debt to income. If it's a very simple kind of vanilla loan application where, you know, someone's got a W2 job, you know, it's, I mean, we can turn those pretty quickly because it can you afford it or not afford it really what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. And okay. So now the next question probably someone has in their mind is, uh, and there's a million creative things on the internet, but I, I want to buy yeah. 40 and I think there's 40 grand worth of logs on there. Can I yeah. use the the timber as some form of fashion of collateral pre-purchase? Yeah, that's, I mean, I've, we've had that. Um, that is, you know, that's getting pretty creative. Um, I, I think that relates more to, can I use that for my equity? Um, and it does, can I use it as part of my income to afford it? Because once you've harvested it, you're, Depleted you know, you can't, you can't do it the next year, right? So it's not an income, it's not a, it's not, can you afford it from a, you know, do I make enough money to cover all my, my payments and my loan payments? Uh, we typically don't uh, allow that to be a piece of the down payment. Um, I look at it like, well, you know, and, and there's also a debate on this because of how you may harvest it and, and improve the habitat. So I, I don't want to discount that. But but tip to me, if you're if you're harvesting it and it takes a while to regrow that, you are affecting the value of the property um, in some form. So to me, the healthy way is have a little bit of equity, a little bit of skin in the game. The bank's going to finance the bigger portion of the, of the purchase. And uh, I always liked, I mean, inside our box is 25% down. Have we deviated and go to 20%? Yeah, we, we will. We, we kind of want to look at how you fit inside the box with all the different um, criteria before we start making exceptions, right? Because if everything's an exception, then you're, you're outside the box. So but the, the inside the box is 25% down from your own funds. Um, the other thing I look at, which I think is just a really healthy thing to look at, um, is what does your savings look like after your transaction, after you've used your down payment? If you're depleting your savings down to the point where you have no cushion for the unknown or if something happens unexpectedly, um, you're getting, a, even if your income can cover the, your, your loan payments and all your other obligations, you're starting to put yourself, your your household budget and, and you know, covering your obligations at risk a little bit. Mm-hmm. So we kind of have a check back where we look and say, okay, got the down payment. All right, after the down payment, is, is there any savings left? It's really simple. We just look, all right, what's your 12 months worth of loan payments? Is there enough, you know, not even household expenses, just loan payments? Could you cover that with a savings? That's just a good check back for us. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I don't sure know if that's really standard. I think that's just something that we felt like was a, is a safe thing for people to be looking at. Yeah, I think. I mean, I'm I'm guilty of it all the time. Pulling out my phone, looking at my bank account. Man, what could I buy? Yeah, <laughs> like, oh, man, I could I could buy this size farm if I you know put it all on the line. But that's not the right thing to do. I know everyone else yeah. does it too. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, I mean, there's there's other things we can do. I mean, we. We'll finance farms with no money down, but they have other farms with a good amount of equity. I mean, we, you know, we we'll get creative if we need to. I mean, if if they've got other assets that they want to pledge, um, you know, that's not so typically what, your first time buyer. 
what are some of those assets that you can pledge that that people could potentially? I mean, more times than not, it's another farm, right? Sure. I mean, um, it's you know, it's equity. They've had a farm for a while. The value has gone up, or they pay down, whatever the case may be. That equity can kind of be paired a little bit. Um, we still like to keep a nice cushion. It's a little more cushion than twenty five percent because you know we're relying on valuation at that point um, mm-hmm. of the other farm, and um, you know some people will pledge a home um, if they have equity in their home or. You know, they may say, you know, I may take out a home equity line of credit on my home to use as a down payment, Um, you know, and they can do that with us or with their, you know, maybe the bank that they're typically doing their home loan with. Um, You know, if you have a brokerage account that has, uh, you know, now this may come into play more so now when the the market's down. If you got a brokerage account that's non-retirement funds, if if they're retirement funds, they can't be pledged. If it's you know post-tax investment accounts, marketable securities that we can get a real current value any given day, we can we can take a lien or have that be pledged as equity. So if I own um, twenty or let's say let's say I own a lot, let's say I own a hundred thousand dollars of Facebook stock, you could potentially yeah. pledge that. Yeah, that could be pledged. Um, you know, mutual fund. The spectrum of those is like, okay, do I do I have Bitcoin versus do I got uh, you know John Deere stock, right? I mean, there's a spectrum. <laughs> one's of, a little more volatile than the other. Know, one's a little more volatile, right? So, um, I think there's you know typically mutual funds and you know EFTs and different things that are really diversified type investments. They don't have as much volatility. That's what you see inside your normal brokerage accounts. And we've done a little bit of that, and I think. You know, you'll see maybe a little bit more of that when someone's source of down payment may have been in the markets and the markets are down and it's just not a good time to pull them out. Yeah, they don't want to realize that loss. Or, yeah, yeah that, that makes sense. So I get in trouble all the time on this. I shouldn't say all the time, but people always are sharing their success stories. And unfortunately, you've probably been on the other end of this conversation, you know, like a very difficult conversation of uh, a deal that went wrong or maybe a, a borrower that couldn't maintain that. It, what should someone hear is uh, just a, a public service announcement, I guess, of like, okay, yeah. this is this is the common theme, you know, they they overextended themselves, or you know, what could what could someone hear that they need to hear? Because we usually have people that are like, oh yeah, woo, this is the best decision ever, and uh, quite frankly, sometimes that's not always the case. Yeah, I I mean that's a great question. It's great for the the listeners to kind of think through. I mean, um, and I, this isn't unique to hunting ground loans. Right. It's this is just borrowing money in general or just, you know, being good stewards of investments in general. Um, I, I would say it, when it comes to banking, like because I've been in it long enough, like to me, it's, you know, having a relationship with your banker is so important. Like so I, I'm a big proponent of the community bank model where you you establish a relationship, even if first transaction you're doing is the first time you meet them, which we see a lot with Buckland funding, you know, establish a relationship with them, establish a communication line. So that, to me, that's the first thing. Um, it make sure the bank is transparent with you. Um, there's always early warning signs when something is going to happen, right? It doesn't typically say anything. It doesn't usually go from good, good, good to all of a sudden, you know, dire straits, right? There's usually some warning signs. Um, now, you know, People have medical issues, people lose jobs. Those things unfortunately happen. Um, but if there's warning signs, you know, communicate with your banker. And there's the earlier you identify issues, the more options you have. And I, I always tell my customers, hey, if the, you know, give me a call. If you have a problem, let's talk about it. 
Um, if, if you try to put your head in the sand or you're afraid to have the, the transparent, tough discussion, then you're, you're, I look at like you're losing options the longer you wait. And, and that's not what you want. And no matter what, always keep, always keep the communication line open. Um, you know, I, I'm just a big proponent of being, you know, be organized, n- know your budget. Um, and this is, you know, in a very, you know, household budgets, you know, know what you can afford that when you're going in to buy something, be, you know, don't, don't get into a situation where you're stretching yourself too far. Uh, cause everything's got to go right for it to work type of thing. So mm-hmm. that's kind of usually my advice. I mean, you know, if you get to the point where I'm always looking for like, what options do we have now that we know we have to deal with something. Mm-hmm. And so the sooner you can identify that, the more options you have to work with. So a lot of people use, you know, your your home mortgage shouldn't exceed twenty five percent of your your health your income your gross income. Let's say, yeah. Is there a, a rule of thumb that people should have in mind uh, when it comes to recreational land? And I understand a lot of these buyers have a lot of times multiple sources of income and everything else, so it's kind of unique in some ways. But let's say the guy that's just trying to buy his first farm mm-hmm. and he's just trying to size himself up of, well, yeah, I, I can't afford this. Is there any? measuring stick or strategy or percentage that people should have in mind? Yeah. The, the whole debt to income calculation is that it's not a very complicated calculation, but it's used pretty in, much industry wide. I mean, if you're talking about, if we're not talking about the business owner that has three LLCs and five different streams of income, and we, we work with them too, they're, they're fun to work with. But if you're talking about the first time buyer or just the the borrower that has, you know, I got a job, I get paid this much, it's pretty consistent. Here's my savings accounts. And, um, you know, the, the the housing ratio that you mentioned, the 25 to 28% is kind of, you know, that calculation is how much money do you make before tax? And what's the percentage of it that's going towards my housing payment? You know, ha- house loan, my taxes and insurance on the house. So that that's the, I think they call that the front end ratio. The back end ratio is really your debt to income ratio, which is uh, uh, that same income in the household uh, before tax. And that's an important distinction. It's before you've paid <laughs> your taxes. So it's not really the cash you have, but before tax and then add up all your, your loan payments you would have in the household. So your car payment, your housing payment to include tax and insurance, um, as it pertains on, typically it's calculated on a monthly basis. So what's your monthly, what's your monthly gross income that you earn in the household? What's your, as a, and then you take, you add up your payments. And so if you're buying a farm, we would add that payment of the new farm loan and add it with your car payments, add it with, you know, your housing payment. Do you have student loan payments? Do you have credit card minimums and that type of thing? That ratio, um, you know, in the in- banking industry, 41% is used uh, for home loans. I've always said that's, that's you're really stretching yourself if you're pushing that. Um, 38% and under is probably a more healthy place to live in. Um, and knowing that you might have to take out a loan because you had to replace your truck or something that was paid off, you know, after this. So you, you got to look down the road. Uh, yeah, you need to leave a little room for cushion there. So that's that's kind of the most basic, you know, what can I afford? The down payment and and the debt to income calculation. Mm-hmm. So yeah, make sure you have 20, 25% down to purchase it and run your debt to debt to income calculation. Try to be under 38%. Yeah. You should be in a pretty good position. Yeah. I should, I mean, you'll you'll qualify as long as your credit's good and there's nothing else that's crazy in your world. But the other thing I always tell people that 
the debt to income calculation and what you feel like you could afford. You may afford a, you may have a 40% debt to income and you got approved for a loan, but you got six kids and three of them are going to college in the next couple of years. Well, that might be a little tight, right? So um, I think you got to apply it to your situation. And at the end of the day, you should have your own household budget. Um, You know, what works for us? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's all common sense, good advice uh, that people need to hear because sometimes they get excited and they want to you know they got the yeah. rose-colored glasses on and they're already picturing opening day uh on their new phone. oh yeah <laughs> but to sean's comment earlier but one of the funnest parts about what we're doing here is you know our bank you know our purpose statement of the bank is trying to help help our customers dreams come true right and so that's our purpose statement you know that gets applied to different types of customers differently you know you got the business owner that's grinding out their, their dream may be to, to transfer that that business they own the next generation. That's their dream. Mm-hmm. When it pertains to hunting ground, it's it, their dream maybe is to buy that first 40, hunt it, take take their kids out, you know, and and develop those long-term memories with them. Everybody's in a good mood, you know, when they come in, uh, typically. They're usually in a pretty good mood. And, we, and if we can align with what we can help them with and we get to closing, that's a fun day. Mm-hmm. And and we make a big deal out of that. We we ask we we thank them. Sean does a really great job. Typically, Sean, I get involved a little bit, but Sean closes a loop with our customers. And hey, how was your experience? Uh, congratulations! It's exciting. You got a care package coming your way from Buckland Funding. You know, let me know if there's anything else you need. Or if you have any questions, and uh, we try to be very intentional about those checkpoints. Mm-hmm. And the uh, just stop there, Jason. The main thing is. Um, the reason for that follow-up is because I, I know some of these properties, I'm able to take a look at them, you know, on the computer or whatever. You know, I always ask permission to come on. <laughs> hey, here's the deal. Here's the deal. You know, I helped you out. Come on. You know, you've got to have at least one good true fruit tree stand. I'll bring my own stand. Just, just you know, here. Maybe that first week of November-ish. Something yeah, like that. no big deal. It's the least they could do, right? I still have, have uh, yet to hear a yes. <laughs> you got to change up your approach then maybe, but no. <laughs> I do. i got to work on some other spiel somehow. Yeah. That's funny. Uh, but yeah, that's a, that's a great point because uh, I remember when I bought my first farm, it was just like, oh my gosh, this is a, you know, you work so hard for so long and uh, it's, you know, it's a proud moment for sure. Um, but so here's a, here's a question. I want your guys' opinion on it, but obviously recreational land prices have ran up a lot here in the last couple of years. What do you think is that? Is it corn and beans, timber prices, uh, general speculation, uh, available cash in the market, interest rates, like, what, when you guys are looking at this, what do you think drives the recreational land market, if you had to guess? Well, I mean, I got a theory. I, I think it's all the above, number one. Um, but I, I I think that, you know, confidence, right? So what gives you confidence? I think the general economy has been pretty good, right? Everywhere you re- would, would read that you look at the stock market, you look, unemployment's all-time low, interest rates are at all-time low. Um, all those things drive it. Um, I think coming out of COVID had a big, big influencer of people's mood and what they wanted. And um, I think, you know, recreational land and, and places to spend time with their family became uh, a good, a good um, a piece of, of that whole process. So um, I think, you know, now we're entering a time where, you know, some of those things are going away. The interest rates are going up. We're getting away from the lowest interest rates of really all time. Um the stock market's doing what it's doing. Um, it, it People don't feel maybe as confident when it comes to maybe the outlook in the near future. Um, when people have their 
even though they're not going to take money out of the retirement, typically, I mean, that's not advised to buy ground. If they open up their quarterly statement, they see a 15% drop in value. It does affect their mood and their comfort level to make a purchase, even though it's, you know, it's just people don't feel as comfortable financially. Um, so I think that's the biggest, the biggest driver. Um, we're, we're getting away from some of the things that was driving it, that, you know, that I just mentioned. And, um, but at the end of the day, and we've talked, Sean, you've done some good work with just trying to get a survey out to land, you know, different land brokers and, and, you know, ask them their opinion on this topic. And, you know, I think the consensus was we just need some stabilization on, you know, like where's interest rates going to settle in at where, you know, where's the, you know, is the economy starting to stabilize to the point where it's okay. It's not going to, you know, continue to, um, you know, the fed's not going to feel like they need to get out of inflation, the inflation piece of it's such a big piece. So the fed's trying to counteract that. So uh, once you settle into what the new normal is, I think that'll, that'll help everybody's confidence. Mm -hmm. Do you think that it stabilizes the trajectory of rec prices as well? I don't want to say it stalls it, but just a more consistent, let's say, four, five, 6% annual appreciation. Yeah. I, I mean, Sean, you can speak to this if you want. I, I don't, that's where the crystal ball comes in. I, I, here's what I know. I don't, I don't think the last couple of years of, of how hot it was running is probably sustainable. Um, you can't have such a long uh, seller's market, you know, with the inventory to where it was to where you get multiple offers day of, you know, farm is the imbalance of supply and demand on it. That's going to correct itself or at least get back to maybe a more healthy, normal balance. So I, I think that's what's going on right now um, from what I see anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and then from there, you know, is there's, I mean, everything goes in cycles, right? I mean, we've been here before. It's not like this hasn't happened before. There'll be a, a softening, a stabilization, uh, hopefully not a major adjustment. But, you know, I guess going back to my point earlier, you know, if you're trying to time it, that's probably not a good strategy. Um, if, you're, if you're doing it for the right reasons to own it long term, that's that's probably a better healthy approach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good advice. One positive thing I think out of all this uh, run up was there were some farms that I think that would not have gone up for sale if it wasn't for record prices, if that makes sense. So like, yeah. although... There's slammer, amazing farms that haven't seen the market for a very, very, very long time. But these prices uh, kind of uh, created the perfect storm for those to go to market where uh, personally, like there's just not a ton of really good inventory out there yeah. right right now. So it's like, I think some people would point at someone that bought something in the last two years and then be like, oh man, you're you're crazy. You bought something during this you know peak, even though no one can time the market or predict it. But I mean, there's some really good farms that went up for sale the last two years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Those farms that everyone's had their eye on forever and, and the seller's like, all right, there's a point where everything's for sale, right? Or yes. uh, within reason, it's time to cash in. And, you know, we've seen farms trade. They hadn't traded forever. They, 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 you know, the, they traded within six months twice. Yeah. You know, it's just, it, yeah. it's just craziness. Mm -hmm. Sean, what, what's your take on all that? What do you think makes the rec market tick? You know, it's funny, I, you know, but it's the truth. Um, and I talk with brokers and customers all the time. It, you know, one of the things that it is, it's the truth. There's a song out there, you know, they're not making any more dirt. You know, the good Lord isn't. He, it's, it is what it is. And people are wanting to get um, as much as they can, whatever they can. And whether it's their first 20, their first 40, 
you know, a lot of people that I talk with are like, you know, this is this is our second uh, purchase. It's 80. But, you know, within three to five years, you know, we'd like to get a buck 50, you know, 150 acres farm, something like that, divide it up a little bit more, you know, row crop, things like that. So, um, you know, again, not making any more of it. The economy uh, was so strong and booming to Jason's point that all affects it so very much. Um, you know, when you're when your buddy's talking, uh, you know, you're paying lease money, lease, uh, you know, prices are going through the roof, um, you know, with you and a couple buddies, maybe, or you and dad or you and your son. Now, we do a lot of those also just uh, mm -hmm. talked with uh, three different guys that formed an LLC, and they're buying a few properties. Um, things like that um, are really taking, taking hold and, and it's all helping the wreck ground being sold. It really is. Here's a question about that. So let's say three guys, three friends go together, or maybe two sons and a father, whatever the case may be. Huh? They apply for a loan. Does that liability or debt go against all of their debt to income? So like, let's say these guys got, you know, hypothetically three household incomes, or maybe let's just say three incomes, you know, strong incomes. Does that debt carry and they want to go, they buy one farm and they want to go buy another one later. Does that debt go against their debt to income, even though it's really split up into three? Yeah, so I mean, typically, you know, th there's a lot of good reasons to form a uh, an, a separate entity. You know, whether typically we see limited liability companies or LLCs, um, that's probably the more prevalent one. I mean, a lot of times it's just let's let's get organized and create a you know an agreement. You know, because they're usually supported by an operating agreement that's gonna that's gonna basically explain who's got the power to do what. Because you got three different people, they might be related, they might not even know each other, right? I mean. That's probably not advisable, but um, that does happen. So you need to have some the, the agreement that kind of dictates a little bit of, yeah, we all agree on this is how we're going to do it. You know, if, if this guy wants out, this guy, you know, this is how we'll sell or, or you know, do we all want to sell it or does this guy want to, you know, sell it to the, the remaining partners at, at the cost they have in it or cost those 5%, whatever they agree on. There's a lot of reasons to do those separate entities or the, the you know form a, a limited liability company um there's some tax advantages as well but you know when it comes to qualify when it comes to the bank side of it uh we we do that all the time i mean the borrower is going to be the LLC, the borrower is going to match the owner on the farm which in this case would be the, the llc they form um you're not really restricting your liability to the person individually the, the, the people individually are still obligated uh for the loan um you know, so they they provide a, a personal guarantee to um, say, yeah, if, you know, if if you know, we all we're going to pitch our money in, you know, make sure the loan payments are made. I mean, that's pretty much common and understood that they're going to make sure they make the loan payments. So, um, how it affects maybe future loans? Um, they're typically, you know, we we always like to see, okay, what other obligations do you have whether they're directly in your name or indirectly on uh, loans that you have partnerships with and you get a lot of that when people have uh, businesses closely held businesses you know they may take money out of a business as a as a as a paycheck but the business itself has got debt that but they own the business um we call that contingent liabilities what 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 debt are you really responsible for if the first layer or the business can't take care of so that's getting a little further into the com more complex loan applications. But um, as it pertains to a couple guys getting together to form an LLC, 
you know, we just accommodate the LLC and the, and the reason why they want to hold the ownership that way. But we still look at their income and, and look at them individually. And it, and it will affect their ability to borrow money in the future or how much they can borrow because mm-hmm. uh, they are obligated on that debt. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, time to get your uh, crystal ball out. And uh, okay. uh, these are kind of more rapid fire, but feel free to, you know, throw a sentence or two of explanation. And um, I'll go, I'll go Jason and Sean and you guys can uh, dive right into it. So uh, <laughs> up or down, very simple. Is it going to go up or is it going to go down? Recreational land market in the next 12 months, up or down? Uh, I can't say flat. Um, no. I'd say I'd say I'd say down. I I don't I don't think drastically down, but I would I would say it can't continue to burn as hot as it's been, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. So like five percent or like ten percent when you say not much, mm, man. So crystal ball, right? You're not gonna yeah. predict that. <laughs> no, right? Yeah, you, this is not financial <laughs> advice or anything else like that. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, ten percent is not a lot. You know, if you look at what's happened the last couple of years, I mean, it, it wouldn't surprise me if it adjusted 10%, but, you know, a $3,000 an acre farm with the $4,000 an acre farm, you know, 10% still, you're still in a good spot, mm-hmm. right? In the last two years, that's, you know, that's 300 bucks an acre and you're still better off than you were when you bought it. So I'll say 10% if you had to hold me to the fire on it. Okay. Sean, what's your crystal ball say? Ditto. <laughs> I knew you were going to agree. <laughs> no, no I, I, I agree with Jason. And, and I think 10%, like he said, in the, the, the whole gamut, the spectrum of everything, you know, when you're looking at a $5,000 acre farm, which is kind of the average kind of once you clump everything together, um, 5,000-ish, you know, 4,500 or whatever, 10% is still just $500. Um, yeah, I would say you could see it 10%. Okay. Oh, well, I got to throw well, back at you, Jake. What what's your thoughts on this? Yeah, there you uh, go. Now, I would I mean, I'm I'm a I'm I'm a buyer, okay? So I'm out here looking every single day. I'm perusing everywhere and uh I there's some some that I had in, uh, that I were really interested in and I was hoping I could wait until cuz I had a similar thought. I was hoping I could wait till like quarter 1 maybe or maybe later this year, let it sit there for a while. Boom, boom, under contract. I'm like, son of a gun. All right, well, that didn't work. So um, let that be a lesson. If you find a farm that you like, buy it. But um, yeah. I would say, you know, you know, I, I don't, it is, it's just not fun on the other end of here. I would say, uh, I think it's going to go down, but I think it could, it's going to be like within a variance of just a couple, it could be plus or minus two or 3% is my opinion. Yeah. I think, uh, I personally think agriculture is going to continue to go up. I do think that. Um, so uh, there's a, there's a pile of auctions coming up later this year that I think that'll be great for us to, to watch and see how these go. Some of them timber tracks, some of them are, are ag tracks. So I'm really excited to see how that goes and see what the market's kind of reacting at real time. But I, I think, uh, it's an exciting next 12 months. I'll tell you that I'm, I'm really excited yeah. to see how it goes, but what about, uh, so three years is, is quite a bit longer. I mean, it's not a super long time, but do you think that we see uh, a, a turnaround recovery based off of your uh, your financial forecast? Oh man, three years out. Yeah, um, October twelfth, twenty twenty five. I think I think there's enough like stability and healthiness in the reason why people buy these farms, right? They're not spe- this is a speculative world, right? It's not like you know I'm going to buy you know in the in the in the mid two thousands when we had the the the, the housing crisis, there was very uh, loan. The people were borrowing money, buying houses they couldn't afford. They were, you know, there was exotic loan products, but they didn't have to really prove up their income. And um, 
it started getting really out of whack. And that, that if you look at some of the economics out there, there's, you know, most households on the average can, you know, are in a, a much better spot to afford their, their obligation. And this is, you know, this is whole household on average across the country. I think there's a, there, it's a healthier spot going into maybe adjustments. So I think that there's just going to, if, if you had to hold me to fire on a, on a crystal ball spec, I think in three years, they'll be back stable. And it would be maybe even on the uptick again. Sean. I agree. I think, you know, to go back again, flashback to Jason, um, we're looking for stability. Um, you know, everybody's looking for stability in the marketplace right now. Stability in gas prices, stability of grocery prices, everything. Um, it's going to be the same for land prices. And once we hit that stability, I think you're going to see that change back and have it go back up a few percentage points. So, you know, I, I look forward to the three year to the five year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I, I definitely think it's going to be trending upward. And I think most, uh, most investments on a three-year scope, if it's a good one, should be um, you should be seeing some form of return. And like to your guys' point, it's making dreams come true. If people wanted to 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 make a bunch of money, they'd probably invest in something different. Um, so that's just the reality of it. So what about uh, in the five-year scope? I mean that that's half a decade. So would you feel pretty confident that it's up at that point? Well, I just gotta ask first, how much further are you going out on these questions? Yeah. Because I'm like that. That you know the ESPN calculator on football games where it says this team's gonna win probability of winning yeah until the next play and then they adjust it down <laughs> yes. right like is that even really fair to, to predict <laughs> um, That's funny. yeah i would say um I, you know i think if you look there, i've seen a chart and i need to get my hands on it but if you look at farmland real estate and this is not not just wreck ground but i saw a chart one time it, it went back to before the great depression and it showed land appreciation year over year and it was it was a year over year calculation in the United States, and it, and you saw a couple of years where it went down. Obviously, the great the, the Great Depression, and don't, don't quote me on this, but there was a there was something that could be read out of it that said within two years it was always back to where it was before it dropped mm -hmm. on, on land values on the average. Now you know that keep in mind on the average it doesn't mean it's going to apply to every everything, but you know if you went out five years and we and we do think that we're softening and maybe a recorrection to, to balance the, the supply and demand of it and it's going to maybe tick back up i think five years you're you're probably back up ticking you know when you go seven years that seems what the it seems like everything comes in a cycle every seven to ten years that's when it starts getting really like okay maybe we're back back on the other side again you know but mm -hmm. again joy of ownership you're not buying it because you're trying to flip it or you're trying to you know, you're not measuring your return on it from the income. Um, you know, I, I think once you buy it, if you're buying it for those reasons, you, you almost, I mean, yeah, it's one of those things where you care about, but it's not, it doesn't drive it to, to, to sell it or hold it necessarily. Yeah. And maybe it's a good thing that there isn't like a rec market, a recreational land uh, market index that you can check every day on yeah. your phone. Cause I think, uh, I think people would lose a little piece in buying land too. Like, exactly. Oh, I'm down, yeah. I'm down a quarter percent on this, you know, giant purchase. Uh, and I'm, oh, I'm up a point. So yeah, I, I think that's, but you know, that's Jake, really fair. the way this, the way this industry is going, who, who knows, there probably will be one of those indexes soon. Probably. That's what's, 
You know, I mean, it's crazy. It's I better get to work on that. I was just going to say that. I was just going to say, Jake, in your spare time. Yeah. <laughs> That's the last thing you want to look at on your phone when you're sitting at a deer stand, though, isn't it? <laughs> no, not. I'd rather be looking at a farm. I'm <laughs> looking yeah. at look what's actually there, but no, that's that's very interesting. Uh, Sean, what's the next five years look like for you? So, uh, October 12th, 2025, or excuse me, uh, 2027. Sorry. Um, it, and again, just to kind of echo Jason's uh sentiments, just uh, pretty much flattening out, enjoy the farm for what it is. Um, you know, right now, and, and you can attest to this, Jake, we've seen so much uh, you know, turnover and boom, boom, you know, guys trying to come in, uh, put you know kill a couple good deer, harvest a couple good deer off that property, really blow the property up um, and, and then sell it for a return. We've been seeing this now for the past few years. Um, and I think that's going to slow down a little bit. And I think out the five years, I think you're going to find more people buying that property again, the three to five, even out to the 10 for just themselves and for their enjoyment, not to have that quick turn and have, you know, uh, trying to make an income off it that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's fair. Okay, so we'll make this one quick. Uh, interest rates up or down 12 months? I mean, I, they're going to be higher than they are today. They, they'll be higher than they are today in two months or in two two weeks or three weeks. I think, you know, so, so the, the Fed's making proactive. That's what they can do to get ahead of re inflation. They made a couple moves. They're going to make some more moves. The, the rates to drive what we quote, um, and really what every bank quotes are a byproduct of that. I mean, you know, if everyone already assumes that the Fed's going to move rates in November, some of that movement's already kind of baked into our rates today. Um, you know, just like everything at the market, they, you know, the stock market anticipates that the treasury, you know, all the stuff, you know, it, it tries to guess what's going to happen and they bake it into the pricing. Um, you know, when is, I think in the next 12 months, it's going to, you know, we'll get to that stabilization. Hopefully we'll start, they'll start seeing the impact of these rate changes and how it affects businesses and, you know, the labor force and unemployment and that, that type of thing. So hopefully they'll, they'll start pulling the foot off the gas pedal a little bit. Um, that's, that would be my guess is by the end of the 12 months, but man, when I start talking about economics and being an economist, that makes me, I almost break out in hives. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm catching myself here, like thinking, man, I, I have no idea. You know what I mean? It's, we got it's Mr. Powell over here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just a big crystal ball. Yeah. I mean, we can, we can only guess. So you think uh, in 12 months, so October of 2023, you think it might be higher than what's say 6.75? Yeah, I would say so. I, I think it's going to be, but you know, everybody just wants to know what the new normal is, right? I mean, you can, it, budget it, around you, can, it. you can budget, you can right. kind of get an idea and you know, that's what the bank, the, the banks love it when rates are just flat, no matter where they're at, up or down, like low versus high. But when they move, it's tricky. It's tricky to, it's tricky to answer these types of questions. It's tricky to help your clients kind of, you know, look at different options that might work for them. And, you know, it, it would just help people and help the conversation to know where, where things are flat, you're flattening out at. Mm -hmm. Sean, where are we at in a year? Well, uh, when they call me for my vote, I say down. Okay. But, uh, it's kind of been, you know, I'm falling on de deaf ears, but uh, I think it's going to be up just like Jason said. So, uh -huh. okay. All right. What about, uh, what about three years from now? And we'll just lump three and five years together. So three to five years, do you think they're going to continue to be trend up or backwards down? I, you know, 
what I hope is, is that we find that uh, normality sooner than later, um, instead of just creeping up over the next three years or the next five years, or actually even the next year, um, just keep creeping, creeping, creeping. Like Jason said, let, let's find a normal and get used to that and everybody get used to that and comfortable with that. And then, then I think it's gonna open back up uh, more. Yeah, I mean, again, such a such a big wild guess. Million this. dollars, yeah, if you knew, yeah. you could probably oh, make man. some great Oh, bets. we'd all be making a lot of money if we knew, yeah. we knew we were right. But <laughs> there's so many, I mean, who would have ever guessed the, the you know, COVID and the pandemic? That was never on anyone's, I mean, those types of things are stuff that happens in different countries and, and we're such a global, you know, economy anymore. And so how's that, how can a war that, you know, in a dip, you know, over the other side of the ocean affect the interest rates for hunting ground? Well, it does. Right. So there's just so many things that could happen between now and then that would totally flip the script and we could be flipped going the other way or just staying where we're at. I mean, if I had to guess, I mean, just looking historically when rates go up, they, they, they level out and then, you know, there's there's some adjustment downward. I, I think there's a cycle there as you could probably see. So I mean, if I had to guess, I'd say we'd be we'd be flat still to maybe maybe pushing downward, but that's just this is the wild guess. <laughs> sure. Well, that's what I asked. I mean, I asked for your guess. So that's I appreciate you guys sharing that. Um, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to walk through a lot of these different questions and thoughts. I know um definitely probably provided the clarity for a lot of different folks what um where can people find you guys if they want to learn a little bit more about the products that you guys have specifically and uh, maybe they want to get pre-qualified or figure out you know where they stand in today's markets yeah sean go ahead yeah i was i just wanted to step back just a real quick too jake um uh anybody on here um that might be a, a first-time buyer or even an experienced buyer uh, my two main things that uh, I would suggest to them. Number one, like we talked about, get pre-approved. No matter what, get pre-approved. Um, number two is find a good broker, an educated broker or agent in the area where you want to buy property. Um, I deal, it's so funny because I deal with so many different uh, people from out of state that wants you know, to buy in Missouri or Illinois or Iowa. So find that broker agent in Northeast uh, Illinois or Missouri or Southern, wherever you're going to buy, find a good quality broker or agent, and then they are going to be able to help you because you might not even know what questions to ask. They're going to be able to ask you and find out, you know, how big a property, uh, what improvements would you like to have on it, a house, a cabin? It doesn't matter. How about a building spot? Are you looking for a pond? Um, what kind of access would you like? Would you like off a hard road, gravel, easement, things like that? So a good broker, a good agent can help you with that. And it's priceless, just like being pre-approved. You have that letter, that certificate, you can show the broker that, boom, hey, I'm interested. This is what I'm pre-approved for. These are, check these off the box. Now let's go find a farm like that. Um, that is extremely important. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. If you do that, you're, you're leaps and bounds ahead of most of the other buyers uh, in the marketplace. Yes, exactly. And and to be honest with you, uh, right now in uh, the current territory, Iowa, Illinois, and Missouri, um, you know, I've dealt with a ton of great brokers and agents. So if anybody, you know, needs a, needs a heads up or, or a referral, I'd be more than happy um, to help them out because, again, it's just it's just a, a key to having them be successful in that uh, purchase. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. 
Um, okay. So where, um, what's the best way for them to track you guys down? Probably our, our website um, or my uh, immediate cell phone, uh, because normally when somebody does uh, do an inquiry on the Buckland funding website, uh, you could just call me directly and I'll give you my cell phone. It's 610-909-9073 or sean.ryan at bucklandfunding.com. Awesome. Wonderful. Jason, Sean, I really appreciate you guys uh, taking the time to discuss all this, like I said, and hopefully uh, someone will will take you guys up on the offer to figure out where they stand. Yeah, I really appreciate the time, Jake. I really enjoy what you do with your podcast and uh, glad that we could be a guest and, uh, you know, share what we know and and, and provide our crystal ball. We'll have to check back (laughs) in a few years and see how close we are. I'm going to set a a reminder in my phone uh, for a year from now to see where we're at. (laughs) Perfect. There you guys have it. I hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode. Next week, we have what I'm just going to share on the market, some thoughts, some things I've learned in the last year. And hopefully you guys will enjoy that and have some additional insight to share. It's been an awesome, awesome year for the Land Podcast. And like I said, we have some big announcements coming down the pipeline. So keep an eye out for that. Until next time, good luck this week out in the woods. See you.